0: Hi there, welcome along to another week of the High Performance Podcast. All we ask is that once a week, you give us an hour or so, and in return for free we will hopefully deliver some inspiration direct to you just a quick reminder that we would love it if you would also check us out on youtube just type in high performance podcast hit subscribe hit the notification bell and you can actually watch the interviews that you've listened to here on the podcast it's well worth doing and we'd love you to do that you can find us as well on instagram at high performance and this is what you can expect from this episode i think we're all chasing yet.
1: And if we realize that we never are going to arrive, that's the point. There is no yet. It's always yet. And then if we can go, ah, life's a verb. It's the process. Shit. That's as good as it gets. All right, I'm in.
0: Oh, we are so excited about our guest today. I can't tell you what an amazing guy he was to speak to. So get yourselves ready for this week's High Performance Podcast. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the secrets to their high performance life. And you can't do a job like this on your own. Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high achieving sporting cultures, is alongside me. And Damien, we're about to have a conversation with a man who's not only achieved great things along the way, he's clearly been a great learner. And as we've learned from his new book, he's also a generous learner.
4: Very much, Jake. I think um, what I'm excited about this is, this is a a guest that we're going to interview that's written a book packed with common sense, but he tells you about how to translate it into common practice and that's a rare gift. And I'm really excited to explore that.
0: Great, let's do it then. Um, A few days ago, Damien and I, ordered the books Green Lights which uh, which arrived and I obviously had high hopes as did Damien but this book exceeded them. If you haven't already gone out and bought this for Christmas it's engaging, it's honest, it's to the point but most importantly it's full of takeaways that are genuinely translatable to our own lives. So how does one of the planet's greatest acting talents, an Oscar winner no less, have learnings for your life and mine? Well you're about to find out so welcome to the High Performance Podcast Matthew McConaughey.
1: Good to be here. Thank you for that introduction. Geez, I could listen to y'all for a while. That word translate as an artist. That's 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 what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm going for. You know what I mean? It's like the difference between self expression and art. All art is a form of self expression, but all self expression is not art. But if self expression can become art and it's translatable, um, then that's that's my biggest compliment to any work uh, that I do. And my biggest compliment to anybody who puts work out in any art form that I go, Oh, it translated to me. Thank you.
0: So who did you write this book for then? Because it definitely does translate. And I, I was wondering whether it was kind of written as something to leave the children.
1: No, I mean, they're not ready for it yet. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're 12, 10 and seven. If they read this book now, they'd have a whole lot of questions for Popeye that Popeye would need for a long time to answer. So man, I gotta be, I mean, I wrote it for me. And, you know, you asked that question and it makes me it makes me realize that this is a, a, a theory that you guys proposed indirectly in, in your in introduction to me. It's a theory that I think lines its way throughout the book. It's a theory that um, uh, I'm even crystallizing more in talking about the book and even my future thoughts, which is the more personal we get the more relatable we can be the more selfish we actually get if we actually go after true selfishness i'm into redefining this word the more selfish we get the actually more selfless it can be these contradictory things of no i did it for me so it's not for you actually no if i'm really focused on the subjective i i noticed in the writing this book i was that's when i noticed i was like boy the deeper you're going into the
0: i matthew the more it appears to be relatable to the we We always negatively think about selfishness. You mean kind of to be selfish for positive reasons?
1: Well, I think the true meaning of selfish is absolutely positive because I think we all, we don't like to admit it, but we all know it. We don't do jack unless it's personal. It's got to be personal and it should be personal. Now we contradict that and say, oh, selfish is bad. Oh, tame your ego. And I don't, I don't think that's the purchase. I think it's no, these two are not contradictory. There is a place where, we, where we can marry in what we want being what we need, we can marry what 's good for me is good for we what 's good for we is good for me uh we 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 can marry the re- responsibility and freedom, those things that are seen as like you know ones you know talk about responsibility and fate those two can be married in ways and I think to see these things as paradoxes and and marriages uh, of that would be truly selfish. Meaning if I'm gonna lie, cheat and steal from you two right now, all right, I got away with it. I got you, I got you, I got your wallet. You'd say that was selfish of me, right? But then I'm going to London next week. And you guys are there, I'm in your neighborhood, everywhere I'm going, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm going, geez, I hope they're not around. man. Jeez, I gotta watch my back. So I've now, by lying, cheating and stealing yesterday, I purchased some of my time in the future. So now I've got more stress. Now I'm not present because I've got to worry about crumbs I left in my rear view mirror via the stealing of your proverbial wallet. So what was really a more selfish act? I would say it was less selfish to actually steal from you because I just bought myself yellow lights in the future. I just bought myself red lights in my future. I didn't buy green lights. I'm not bidding by my time. I bought my time having to worry about it something I did in my past, that's, that's stress. That's not, that's not, that's not selfish. Be much more selfish. I believe to go ahead and say, Hey man, I found your wallet.
4: So Matthew, that's quite a, quite a profound realization that you've come to. When did, when did that start to emerge as a truth for
1: you? Well, it's still still emerging. Um, look, I'm always trying to measure. I've always, always been interested in the long view. You know, I've got kids, you got kids. Delayed gratification, man. Tough one to teach, but boy, one they need to know, you know? So also in parenting, my kids has helped talk to them about, hey, you got home, you got homework on Friday. You don't have school till Monday. You got an hour of homework. Hey, you got two hours to kill on Friday afternoon. You want to do it right now so you can have Sunday night free? No, I want to save it. All right, well, we might be playing footy in the backyard Sunday and you're going to have to leave the game. No, no, I'll chance it. Come Sunday, you're out there playing around the backyard, you gotta go do your homework. Oh no, I wish I'd have done it. Yeah, you would if you'd have just nipped it in the bud Friday. You'd have had Sunday free and you'd have bought yourself a green light. I'm always trying to see, So, how far down the line can we think? It's tough. You know, a kid doesn't project till tomorrow. Our kid doesn't even project an hour ahead sometimes, a minute ahead. But as we grow up, how far can we project? We we, we make choices, we know we make certain choices today ourselves, we're responsible to the things that we want to get, that we know engineering wise will tee up a better percentage of succeeding, in getting what we want tomorrow. Well, how far, how far off can we think? you think next week, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, can you think go all the way to your eulogy, you know, and, and, and think back So I've always just been, I've always been entertained by that thought of, OK, not only let me think about the subjective I selfish thing I want now, let me go be the eye in the sky, the subjective third person royal we and have a look back and go. What's this look like? <laughs> What's this choice going to look like down the line? Am I going to live it kind of living in a way now that I can look forward to looking back? That's true. That's a, I like asking myself that that question always have.
0: But to have this, you need incredible discipline. Um, There's loads of stories in in the book about discipline. Obviously, people know the story about the incredible weight that you lost for the Dallas Buyers Club. Yet, in the evening, I still find that I don't want to eat Pringles, but I do. So for people listening to this who struggle for discipline, what is your advice for sticking to those personal protocols? How come you don't have a voice? Or maybe you do in your brain going, no, don't bother, just have another cheeseburger, Matthew. Deal with that weight
1: tomorrow. Right, right, right. Well... Okay, like in that case, so I didn't do my job. Therefore, I am embarrassed. So the fear and dislike of being embarrassed (laughs) is is up there pretty much the top for reasons to stay disciplined for me. Um, I have to, you know, again, we're going to bring up delayed gratification. Go in. Oh, you know what? There's something to actually this sacrifice is nice right now. And I'm glad. Oh, this is supposed to be hard. But you start, if you stick with it, the longer you stick with it, you start to get kind of a sort of honor and pride with it. And you and, and it becomes easier because you're like, you know, and I even in losing when I lost all the way Spider I became c- kind of arrogant to the family. I'd be like, Oh, y'all going out to eat pizza, huh? Shlops. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I, I mean I would laugh at myself, but I was like almost like. My, my king on my own island, like, but look at me. I'm being so disciplined. You know, my wife would give me hell about it, but we had fun with it. But it became, and I'll say this, man. It's really, you got to commit to the original choice. Hardest part about working out is what? Putting on your damn shoes and getting out the door. Hardest part is making the decision and when to make it. And if you initially sit out and go, this is not negotiable. And I know I'm going to go down the line and it's going to get a little wobbly and I'm going to try to argue myself out of this. Don't listen to that voice. It's very clear. This is what we're doing. Lock, you lock in on that initials. Then the rest is pretty damn easy because you're not negotiating. It's in negotiating with ourselves. That's the fatigue. That's the stress. That's the, well, oh, I can't stand it. No, you can stand it if you go, I don't have another choice. I'm not giving myself another option, Period. Then it's like, okay, survival mechanism kicks in. Let's go. What you know? See, there's a really powerful theme
4: that you're articulating there, Matthew. But again, that comes out in the book about that phrase you've just used there, commitment. You told that story about when you were at law school and you phoned your dad for permission to pursue a career in Hollywood. And his answer was, if you're going to do it, commit completely. Would you explain for our listeners the power of commitment and what that subsequently gives you?
1: I want it gives you clarity, but look, let's start off by this, man. It's, it's, it's hard. But I would say, I think it's fair to say, especially today with so much information, trying to decipher what's, what's real, what's not, what's actual, what's true. It's hard to know what the hell to commit to, man. I mean, it's not things are you, to find those things in our life and choices we can make that we go, no, this is black or white. This is what I stand for. This is what I stand against. It's tough because, as we grow older, we, get, we have empathy, we have understanding, we have compassion, even maybe for ourselves. We can go, well, I wanna hear the other side of the story. Well, I, wanna, I can entertain, I can work too. And I think if you get past going, ah, now I'm, I'm, I'm adrift in the shades of gray. I'm adrift in a form of moderate compromise. So I really don't know what I stand for against. If we get past that and into the paradox of, oh, actually, no, I'm seeing the, the, the third eye truth in understanding both sides. And but I'm still making my choice and I know what I'm about and what I'm not. Look, to be, it's, it's a gift to have something and to find things in our life that we can be committed to. We're giving ourselves, because it gives us a, 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 a compass, man. It gives us an anchor in this world. And even I've found that it gives me courage to try out new things if I'm anchored, meaning like my family's non-negotiable. Me as a father, non-negotiable. My husband, non-negotiable. Boy, to have those and go, well, whenever nothing else makes sense in the world, I got that. And I know if I go to that, I can't go wrong. It's good to have that. And I have more courage to go out further and try out different things because I have this linchpin. Or maybe it's faith. Um, but to be obsessed, to get, find something that you can get obsessed with that is actually could be a healthy obsession. To That you want to be a perfectionist about that you wanna do it as best as possible, that you wanna, that's a a gift to be able to do it. And it's not supposed to be easy. I don't know if it was easy, it wouldn't be near as fun once you get it, or once you pull it off another day, another week, another year, another life. Um, But can you you keep, you know, it's hard to balance all these things. Meaning, if I'm gonna go get obsessed with the role of my career, well, if I didn't have my family with me on location, I'm, if I'm going in, if I'm going in the asset section on my career, man, I'm really doing a good job nailing this character. But I'm kind of going into the debit section back home with the wife because I hadn't seen her in a while. Kids hadn't seen me in a while. Friends I haven't talked to and actually haven't been getting enough sleep or eating. So my health's kind of going to debit. So, so, so how do we keep these things all balanced? Tough to do. Um, luckily, I get my family to come with me. My, I have a wife that supports this around me that tells me when I go out the door in the morning don't look over your shoulder. Go be obsessed with this role today. I got the kids. I got the house. Get your ass out there and do it. So I have a support system that helps with that. And if you don't have a support system like that, it's harder because you go get obsessed with something. You're like, well, what am I going to miss? Am I missing
0: another opportunity if my head's so down in the process? You know what I mean? What about people then, Matthew, who are listening to this conversation and they want to be where you are? They want to be passionate they want to look at their life and know they're going in the right direction but they're struggling to find the thing we've already said how hard it is to know who you are sometimes i think in the modern world what's your advice for those people because you talk about responsibility is it all of our responsibility to know what what we should be what makes us tick the life we should live
1: if we choose it to be I, you know, i would say it's our it's a choice that I think, I hope I'm not being condescending to say that I think everybody is on some level is extremely interested in, 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 in the introspection and investigation of who are they individually and who are they in this world and what, how do, how do they dance? What's the reverb, what they give out and what comes back? What's the supply and demand of the life we live every day and it's in, 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 in the relationship with the world. So then you break down the world, our careers, our time, families, it's hard to know who you are and what you want to do. I've read about this in the book. So first, take that pressure off yourself and start with the process of elimination. Meaning like, dang it, I'm not getting what I want. I don't know what it, well, who I am. I don't know if I'm on the right track. All right, forget that. That's a big question, Andrew. Let's just eliminate the things in our life that we know don't feed our true selves. Who are those people, those places, those habits that we keep going? I keep having a hangover every time I'm with them. That, I'm that, that. not getting residuals from that relationship. I always like it on the come, but I don't like it on the go. You know, I like like the approach, think I'm gonna make, I keep going to that place. Damn, why do I every morning I wake up and I have a worse hangover in that bar, but I had the same drinks than I had in the other bar? Same drink, maybe it's the people, maybe it's the conversation, maybe it's the smoke in the air, I don't know. But start eliminating those things that don't seem to give us residuals. Think about it as ROI, return on investment. So if you eliminate enough of the things that we aren't and don't feed us, By process of elimination, mathematically, we will end up with better chance of things that we are that do feed us in front of us. Well, now, if we get to that spot, I think it's about saying, or asking ourselves, what do I have an innate ability to do? What am I naturally gifted at? Parlayed with, and what am I willing to bust my backside work ethic wise to be good at? So biology and giddy up, you know what I mean? and if, boy, if we can match those two, then I think we have a better chance of succeeding at least on a level that Mon- the proverbial Monday morning and Monday feels constructive. It doesn't mean we all become rich and famous. If we all did every if we all only did what we loved, unemployment would be through the roof. <laughs> so so I'm not talking about do what you love. No, no you can you, you can learn to you can learn to really enjoy doing something that you may not love, but you can enjoy the feeling of being good at be doing something well. And you do something well, you like to do it more. Um, but if you can marry, if we can marry innate ability with giddy up, with work ethic, with I'm going to educate myself for that, or I'm going to work towards that. And I'm willing to outwork somebody else next to me, my competition, whatever. That's something that I have an innate ability for. I think that's the honey hole because a lot of us chase things. Look, I'm 5'11, three quarters, got, you know, 33 inch waist, 32 inch legs, my waist longer. than my leg. I wasn't going to be an NBA basketball player, no matter how, Many places or camps I would have gone to, or no matter how hard I worked, I didn't have the innate ability. I may have had the giddy up, but if you ain't got the innate ability, don't, take, don't go play the giddy up on the thing that you're like, I'm not. that's not going to happen, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is a
4: really interesting one for our listeners that might find themselves, say, stuck in a job that they know doesn't excite them, but they have a level of competence at it and it brings in the bills. And you were on a similar path in terms of pursuing your law degree and you were looking to pursued that route what were the kind of questions that you were asking yourself that gave you the courage to walk away and pursue the risk of a career in Hollywood
1: well I was a sophomore in college at this time and the only thing I had ever thought I wanted to be or had talked about with my family or was expected to be was a lawyer and I was right on with that thought I could have gone on and been been a decent lawyer and would have been excited about that but around my sophomore year I started not sleeping well with the idea that, wait a minute, two more years here, then I go to law school for four years, then get out and get a job. I'm gonna be 30 before I actually get in there. And I was like, I'm not sure I wanna spend my entire 20s learning a craft. I wanna be like, I just wanna try to put my mark in here somewhere or just go find out. I need something more experiential. I need to, you know, I I gotta get my hands in the clay and something. And I had been writing at the time and had shared some short stories with a friend of mine who, who told me he thought they were pretty good. And then he came to me and said, well, the short stories are good, but also, you know, you got good character. We're, think about it in front of the camera. And I was like, ah, no, nah, no, nah. you know, it was just too avant-garde of the thought to be a, an actor. But I did have, I was able to say, yes, the storytelling business. So I have that phone call you brought up earlier to my dad where I thought he was going to go, you want to do what? Meaning, I was raised blue collar, you work your way up the ladder. The idea of going into the arts as a career, I thought he was gonna go, son, you do that shit on Saturday afternoon as a hobby if you want, but you need to get a job that pays and blah, 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 blah. blah." Well, he didn't. What he actually told me was, is that what you, once I said, that's what I want to do. He goes, well, don't half-ass it. So in that line, he not only gave me approval, he gave me a kick in the backside, a launch pad, a rocket fuel, more than privilege, he gave me freedom and accountability and responsibility to go try and make it happen. Um, but it's the fact that I wasn't sleeping well and I was willing to take the risk to say, well, you also have an innate ability here to be, to tell stories and get into the I mean, let's, let's take our chance. There's not a, you're not going to have to be in school as long. You're, you know, I remember thinking Hollywood doesn't give a damn about your GPA. <laughs> they want, they want to see something. You know what I mean? Um, they, they want to see a product, a piece of content. So that was like, well, you can start trying to make content immediately. You know, even while you're here in school, try to. They're not, they're not looking at your ID to say, oh, you can't, we can't take that great piece of content because you're still in college. They'll take it from anybody, five year old, you know what I mean? So, and it was a risk that I was wanting to take, but I felt I did have the innate ability to do it.
0: A lot of people will look for the path of least resistance. They will always look for a reason not to take the risk, whether it's children, leaving college, whatever. What's your advice to those people?
1: On every project film I do, I go through a process of this. One, I'm looking for a character or a story that I'm like, whoa, huh. I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but geez, I can't wait, right? Now, that's a good fear of I'm going to dive in. I'm trusting I'll come up the other side with an identity for a character. And I will, have, as an architect, constructed, hopefully, a, a character that I can feel was true and I can be honored with portraying. But there's other times I'm scared because I'm going like, mm,
3: I'm
1: not sure about this director, man. I'm not sure that actually the financiers really want to make the movie I want to make. I think they may have been just telling me they wanted to make the movie that I, that I see in the script because they just want me to say, yeah, the job. Now, that's a fear that I want to go. It'd still be a risk to take it, but... Maybe the pedigree around me is not is not right. So that's a fear that tells me, uh, 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 not, that's a good reason to back off of it. So what I'll do is say, I'll get a script, a character, I really want to do it. And I'll, I'll start off my yeses and my noes, right? And then I'll go to my wife, cool, doing it. Starts in, starts in January, doing it. Get ready. So we're going to be over in Mauritius for, for four months and we're going and there we go. And I, I got to do it. And I sit in that, in that state of mind, fully convinced, yes, for 10 days. And I then measure myself for that 10 days. Well, how many times did you start seeing the world through the, idea, through the eyes of this character, jotting down notes, you're already getting creatively turned on. Um, uh, what what did, did two other opportunities come up in January that you already immediately said, nope, not doing it because I'm doing this other thing. Well, that's a good reason to usually say, yes, let's do it. But alternatively, 10 days go by. And I woke up in the middle of the night three times going, oh, I'm not sure about so-and-so in this movie. I'm not sure about that. Well, that's something to listen to as well. Maybe that's a reason not to. So then after 10 days, I go, now I'm going to live 10 days. No, I'm not doing it. Miller, not doing it. Call off the trip. We're not going away. Now I measure that 10 days. Now what wakes me up at night? Did I wake up at night going, Think you dodged a bullet there, buddy, good move. Or did I wake up at night going, I have to play that character in this movie, I have to. No, I can't believe I let that go. Well, that then leads to a good reason to maybe go, let's do it. So to measure, to, to, to commit to yes to something, see how you feel, see what bubbles up. To commit to no, see what bubbles up. But convince yourself that it's happening. It's not foolproof. But it helps a lot on measurement of whether what, whether to take the risk or not. So do you check
0: in with yourself often?
1: Every night, maybe? And I try to through the day. I mean, I don't have a, you know, a scheduled ritual. I, you know, I, I, I check in. We as a family check in with gratitude before meals. And then I check in, you know, with myself through the day. And then at the end of the day, I like to go back and try and do a little inventory of what, how was my day. Why am I having trouble remembering what I had for breakfast? Why am I having trouble remembering... Well, that means you need to slow down and actually go back and think so you can have some demarcations between the events. Because, you know, we get busy. They all start piling up with each other. And I'm good in autopilot. I'm really good when I'm running, you know, I'm like, line them up. I'll, I'll remember what the hell I did next year. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good in that mode, but I like it better when I'm like at the end of the day. Okay. Demarcation. How'd we do today? We knew we had a big week. Monday. We do, yep, yep. Good. Nailed that. Okay. Put that aside. What do we got now? A little small projection. What do we got tomorrow? What time does the day get started? We've got, okay, we start with that. Yeah, i got that break. I yeah, mean, we can have lunch and then I'll come back. First part of the day days about green light. Second part's is about MOC. Then i got the kid. Yep, okay. Three different mode. Yep, got it. Then I'm, that helps me go to sleep. But I, um, I do do a little check-in with the day and a little projection into let's look at what we got tomorrow.
4: So where does the diary keeping fit in with that then, Matthew? Because that really intrigued me that you kept a diary for so long. Is that not part of your way of processing events and making sense of the world around you?
1: Well, sure it is. I mean, it's, you know, what do we usually go to a diary for? A journal, especially when we, you know, we go there, when we're lost, when we're having trouble and we're trying to figure shit out and we're confused. And that's what I originally went to it for. You know, why'd so-and-so break up with me? Why do I got pimples on my face? why, why you know, that kind of stuff. as a 14 year old kid. And then I remember reminding myself in my early twenties, I was in a time in life where I was rolling. I mean, my relationships were good. I had cash in my pocket. I had a four handicap in golf. I had a hot girlfriend. Uh, I was making grades. Mom and dad were happy. I was rolling. Well, those are the times you don't really go right in your diary, right? Because you're like going, I found it. I'll never lose it. (laughs) Which we all know is false because you will lose it. And you will get in a rut again. You will, when you're on frequency, you will get off frequency again. There is no ta-da moment. (laughs) So I remember going, you better write. You better keep writing now while you're rolling. Because when you do get off frequency again later in life, you might want to have something to look back at. And I did. And that practice helped me. In times when I was in a rut to go back and go, well, man, we had this year here where you were catching green lights in life. I mean, not relationships, job, uh, sleep, self-respect, uh, self-confidence. And I look back and I was like, well, who were you hanging out with? Where were you going? How much sleep were you getting? What were you eating? What were you drinking? What were you doing first thing to start the day off? What was your, you know, where are you going to church? Whatever those may be. And they helped me recalibrate and go, well, let's pick some of those habits up that we kind of thought we take for granted here for a while. And they helped me get back on the rails a little bit.
4: So one of the phrases that Jake and I use frequently on this podcast, Matthew is success leaves clues that when you're successful, there's lots of clues left behind for it. And that sounds like what you've done over your career.
1: Yes. And what's the world tell us to do? Dissect your failure. No, dissect the success too, at least. Cause you're going to need it. And there is a science to satisfaction.
4: There was a really interesting two anecdotes in uh, in the book that intrigued us was that one was um the liberation when you first played the role in dazed and confused that you almost just played the character and then you tell the story about when you tried to do that same um <laughs> approach and you didn't read the script <laughs> so again that's a really interesting way that you learn from failure and success So how do you get that balance now, Matt?
1: That was a time. Look, I fell into my first acting role. There were three lines written. I worked for three weeks. I knew my man, Wooderson. So I would just throw me in the situation and like somebody say something. I'd just be my man. Well, then I get out to Hollywood and I went through a patch of about a year where I wasn't getting jobs and I was too tight and I was talking to people about acting lessons and stuff. So I started to think about this thing that I had a natural ability to do. And as we all know, when you start to learn a craft that you may have an innate ability for, there's a transition to move it from the intellectual into the soul and the lineage and the body, you know. And that can be an awkward transition, you're kind of thinking about stuff where you are just kind of doing it. You're learning the math of what you of your poetry and that there's a, it's, it's a good bridge to cross. But while you're on the bridge, it can be a little wobbly. And it was for me. So I get this bright idea that I'm like, I'm not getting any jobs. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm auditioning, but I feel like every time I leave the audition, I'm like, ah, you left a little bit in the tank. You could have done more. You didn't take a risk. So I'm like, you know what? I got offered this blind offer on this job. One day work, no audition, nothing. Come on. I said, I'll take the job. And then uh, I get this idea. I go, you know what? I know what it is. I got to go back to how I did my very first film when there was no scripted lines where I just knew my man and I did what my man would do and said what he would do. I've been overthinking this acting thing too much. So you know what? I'm not even gonna read the script. Give me the log line of who my guy is, what is his obstacle, what, are, what do I need and what do I need to overcome? That's gotta happen in the scene, no matter what. Right? And I'll just be my man. And I'm not even gonna read the scene. Bad idea. And right before we're about to yell, action, to do this scene, which I have never read or known nothing about, uh, the PA comes by, production assistant, and said, Mr. you got some sides. It's a miniature version of the script, of scenes that day. And evidently, I was feeling a little insecure because I said, "Yeah, yeah, let me have a peek of those. Right before we're about to go on, action. And I get them, and I decide in my head, I remember thinking, well, I'll have a look at the dialogue because if it's written well, it's obviously what my man would say. And if it's not written well, I'll just say and do what I would do anyway and throw it away. Four page monologue by my guy in Spanish. (laughs) Oh man, and I remember saying, can I get 12 minutes because I thought in my head that that was enough time to not be too inconsiderate to the crew but also enough time to learn a four-page monologue in Spanish. Hey, I took Spanish for one semester in the 11th grade. (laughs) I love it. Oh, man. Embarrassed. Sweat started, and I was so embarrassed that from then on, I said, no, 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 no. You prepare (laughs) to the hilt so you can have the freedom. Go, don't get, get over that bridge of learning. Like, learn it so much where you're over it, where you don't have to think about it. So the next thing I come up for A Time to Kill, I'm offered a small role. Well, I not only read the script, I read the book back to cover to cover, and, I, and I'm confident enough to go in there and tell the director, no, I don't think I need this role. I think I need the lead.
4: But that's an important point, isn't it, that it's almost doing the work liberates you. So, again, when you tell about that, that when you went for the, for the lead of In A Time to Kill, you read it uh, mechanically, and then the director said to you, now read it as you would do, and liberated you. Is that true?
1: Conservative or liberal late is another way of saying that, you know, and I don't mean that political terms. I mean, what are the rules of the game here? What are all my options? What are all my play calls? What's the playbook? Let me let me study it all. Get it down so well that when it's time to go in the proverbial game of life, when we're in between action and cut of whatever our job is, we've thrown the playbook away. Come on, let's play because I'm not thinking about it because I prepared enough for I'm, It's not up here anymore. It's in here and down here in my loins and legs. Let's go. And
0: it it's so good to hear this, Matthew, because it, it reminds us of another theme we talk about often on this podcast, which is have an idea of where you want to go, but be flexible about how you get there. And you talk about that in your book as well, unexpected red lights. And you've just given us some great stories relating to some red lights, but they send you down a path you weren't expecting and green lights come your way. And that's that's exactly what's happened here. The negatives creating the positives. Look, you gotta have the dark to
1: appreciate the light. You gotta I mean at the end and the end, you gotta I mean we don't like the yellow and reds lights in our life, but damn, if most of the time they aren't something we need. So then goes back to your earlier question. Do we recognize what the lesson we got from them? Because yeah, all red lights and lights do suck if we don't actually realize what we were supposed to learn. And if we don't realize what we're supposed to learn in the crises or hardships of life or things we don't get that we wanted, what do we do? Stuck on this little, little merry-go-round of nothing but green lights, running out of gas because life's for nothing but entertainment? Well, that sounds like a bunch of, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Where's the evolution? Where's the ascension? Or, or, or as, I, as I tell my mom, who's, who's taught us this great trait of being resilient, right? So resilient, in fact, that we're taught to get up, dust yourself off. Get up, dust yourself off. care get up, dust yourself off. And I remember going to, when I was 22 years old, I was like, mom, this theory of yours has been very valuable for me. And I would not be the man I am right now, unless I would have this resilience you taught, but I said, it seems to have a loophole. She goes, what? I go. If you're so resilient and you just get up and dust yourself off and carry on every single time you become a repeat offender of, (laughs) of of the thing you kept doing, screwing up. Meaning like if if you, if you, if you step in step and shit, and every time you step in shit, you pop up and scrape it off and keep running. And you come around the track again, you step in shit again. So the loophole is I think I'm going to not just scrape the shit off my boots right now and keep running. I'm actually going to turn around and go, why do I keep stepping in that pile of shit? <laughs> so I am going to recognize. So next time I come around the bend, I can go around it. I can hop over it or, you know, find another path. So create a yellow light. A red light to go, that's the time when you go, why am I stepping in that shit? That's that's the self-imposed red or yellow light. Or you say when we talk about taking risk, to realize what the lesson is the self-imposed yellow and red light, to go, wait a minute, let me take pause here. What am I supposed to learn from this? And if you do that, that yellow and red then becomes green.
4: You gave the great example of your wife giving you the encouragement and support to go and pursue a role and we'll take care of things here, or your mum teaching you the skills of resilience. How do you bring people into your world that, that facilitate that ability to learn lessons?
1: I wade into relationships slowly. I come in with full trust until you give me reason to not trust you fully, which I've been told that most people don't do that. And I didn't know that. But I wade into, I measure people. Not all, you know, it starts off by what they say. That's usually the obvious, what they say and do. Then you start, you get to know someone. I start to read, try to read what is it they didn't say and didn't do. What was in the quiet times? What was in between the pauses? You know, because we're all, you know, actors to some extent. In our own life, we portray different things to get what we want. And, you know, I, I got no problem with that. And hell, I do it too. I've always said this, give me the asshole over the dork. Well, at least you know where the asshole stands, right? The dork's trying to be everything to everybody, which means he's about nothing. So just the asshole, at least you can go, I don't like that guy, but man, at least I know where he stands. You know what I mean? I can try, give me that guy. You know what I mean? So it's it's the dorks I don't like and and, and people that maybe try to get into my life that maybe have an alternative uh, ambition or do not really have their best... Uh, their best intents for me or maybe aren't willing to get to know me well enough to actually promote the best of me, which I think we all know that I think that's my definition of what a good friend does. He knows you and he, and he, and he, helps promote more of the best of you. That's what my wife's got a real talent of doing for me. And that doesn't mean she always says yes to me and she disagrees. And she's like, no, I think this one, you're, you're, you're swinging out of bounds here. This is, <laughs> uh, I think you're, this is not for, I know you're into new ideas, Matthew, but this one you're out of bounds or whatever that is a career choice or something. And I don't, I don't have a huge circle of close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, but I don't have, I have a group of, uh, uh, of men that I'm very good friends with that I call a fraternity of men that we all, we naturally have, we, we are all investigating ourselves. Of who, how can we be better men? How can we be better fathers? How can we be better husbands? How can we also understand that we got to work and we got to create, man's got to create, so man has to have work. Man has to have something that would go. You know, we have a different sense of accomplishment, um, and I know I need sense of accomplishment. I don't want to be obsessed by it, but I'm like, I, I, I do need to accomplish to have my own feeling of significance. And so, I like talking about people with big, with big ideas. And again, that long view. We were going back. What, what's the, what's that? What are we really doing here, man? What's really going on? We break this down. You know, um, tell you who's super fun to have these conversations with fellow countryman Guy Ritchie. That guy never talked about the weather. He's straight too. All right, so you believe in God. Let's talk about it. It's like he likes to go big quick. But I have a certain group of friends that we talk, you know, we talk, try to talk about the big things, existential questions. What is it all about? What really matters? What doesn't?
4: Given your background or coming from that blue collar um, background that you've described about your father and your mother and where you grew up, those seem like untypical types of questions that would be asked for somebody, uh, in that environment. So how would you encourage our listeners to start asking those questions and feel comfortable that the benefits of asking them are going to be worth it?
1: Yeah. Cause I, you know, we didn't, we were not an introspective family growing up. My mom and we didn't, we we're not a well-read family. We weren't allowed to watch TV. We, my mom would put, kick us outside to Mexico, play outside before we could read a book. I don't know where the I don't know where why I started questioning those things early. Um, But look, on a very simple level, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier, that everybody that is going like, well, you know. For whatever reason, I don't, I'm not purchasing what you're talking about, McConaughey, or maybe I don't understand it, or maybe I don't want to understand it, or maybe they're going, yeah, you're in a privileged position to sit on a choice for 10 days, yes, and 10 days, no. I got to make the decision right now, and I got three hours, you know, whatever that may be. Um, what each of us can do is go, do we want to be our more true self tomorrow? Do we believe that life can have a bit of an ascension of evolution? I believe it can or what the hell is time for, right? I mean, it, can we, do we want to be a little bit better, a little bit more true? All right. We ain't got to solve it all right now, but if we can look in the mirror and say, Hey, I'm gonna be a little more fair today. I'm actually going to be a little more respectful of the work my wife's been doing. Jeez, I've been doing the work, but I got it. You know what? She's really been taking care of this thing over here, uh, whether it be the, the kids or her own job. I need to be more respectful of that. I've been kind of, riding over that, taking that part for granted. I'm gonna give that a little more respect or I'm gonna be a little, yeah, I'm gonna have a better sense of humor is a good one to start with. I'm gonna give some of the things I'm getting a little bit ticked off about that. I'm gonna laugh actually instead of snapping. or I'm gonna giggle. it'll be little things. It can be a good thing for yourself. All these I think are. Just pick out a little something that you can say you're gonna get a little bit better at each day. And that it's really as good as it gets. I think we gotta get this thing out of our mind. We're obsessed with results, man. We're we got this idea. And look, I love chasing results. I'm, I'm a big fan. I write the headline first and then try to live the story towards it many times and have pulled it off. But at the same time, what do I find when I get to the headline? Oh, the story still continues. It wasn't, we have no ta-da moment where we go, ah, I did it. Now I finally arrived. That moment never comes. Once you think you get there, it opens up another 40 lanes in your highway of places to go. It doesn't get the 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 doesn't get thinner in in, in many ways. The direction, you may get further down the line, so your direction may be more clear, but it doesn't get there's not fewer options. So if we can just ask ourselves if we can be a little bit better, can I be a little bit better at this? I want to be a little bit better at this more small increment. And if we can just keep doing that, commit to the chase, stay in the race of trying to be a little more better, a little more true to ourselves. Hop out of ourselves from time to time, a week ahead of us. How's that decision gonna look to me next Friday? How's it gonna look next month, next year? See how far away you can come, how much because everyone's got a different threshold for how far out they can project themselves. If you want to tell somebody, go out a year, that's too far for a lot of people. Whoa, 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 whoa. Some people you can say, they can go off to the eulogy and say, yeah, that's where I want to look back from. But as far as you can get ahead of yourself, just try to have a little objective look back and go, well, what am I gonna think about this decision tomorrow? How am I gonna go fit? You can do that, man. Everyone can do that. If you can do that. That's as good as it gets. Um, I think we're all chasing yet. <laughs> and if we realize that we never are going to arrive, that's the point. There is no yet. It's always yet. <laughs> and then if we can go, ah, life's a verb. It's the process. Shit. That's as good as it gets. All right. I'm in. So when you
4: Stepped up on that stage and received the Oscar then, because I think that's a really powerful message that you're giving, that there's no ta moment. So when you're winning what is regarded as the ultimate accolade in your industry, what were you feeling?
1: I was feeling, first, validation from my peers, all right? Second, that Mike. to go back to that word we started off with, translation. I remember going, like, you performed your craft. Your art, Matthew." To such an extent that it translated to people and your peers who are great at what they do, and they deemed you to have done the most excellent job at this of anyone in the whole year. Boy, that's finite translation. Boy, those times, I was like, you intended to do something, to tell such a truth on a man by embodying him in this, through this character that other people saw themselves in that man and saw themselves in me as that man. Other people saw humanity to an extent that was so precise that they went, yes, that's great work. That's craftsmanship, yes. So that was a pinnacle in my career as an actor. Did it give me confidence? Sure. Did it make me go see, you were right to hold out for that two years of not working when you were just doing wrong on huh? you were right to prepare so hard to come in and be the master of your man and stand up for your man and tell people, uh-uh, he's mine. I'm not asking permission. He's mine. I own him. I know. Boy, I'm glad you had that confidence to, to do that and believe that, Matthew, at that time. Because look, it translated. Once again, I went, the deeper I went to the I, the more it became relatable to the We.
0: You know, it reminds me of a really nice quote in your book where you talk about reaching beyond your grasp. You said, have mm-hmm. immortal finish lines and turn your red lights green because a roof is a man-made thing.
1: I love that one. You know the story of Icarus, right? Flying too close to the sun, and the sun go up the wax wings, and they get, you're going to get too close to the sun, their wings, the wax, holding their wings melt. I think we suffer from the opposite. <laughs> When we think in our mind, oh, I'm getting too close to the sun. Oh, this is too much. This is the peak of my ability. I, man, it ain't even close to melting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think our roofs are so much more uh, immortal. And when we put our roofs and our limitations on ourselves, that's we mortally do those to ourselves. You know, you see, we're tapping into the 11th percent of ourselves, we have so much further to go than we allow ourselves to believe that's why I put in the book, also, I hate that word, unbelievable. No, I mean, what did, did we have these limitations that we put on ourselves that are really not our right to put on ourselves. Where the hell do we get off? It's an arrogant thing. Let's, let's let me invert it. I think it's arrogant to actually say, no, 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 that's, 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 that's as good. That's as much as I can do. That's as good as I can be. That's as true as I can be. What? Dude, wait, what are you talking about? You actually, you know, we, we think it's like the fourth quarter or the end of the second half in the pitch, you're like, Dude, game just started. We, don't, don't be so flattered with yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you thought you, you, while you were sitting there, you're already looking at the Jumbotron like this. Guess what? Everyone else is running past you while you're admiring your work. No, raise the fricking roof, man. You know, in the reach beyond the grasp of when do we get tight?
4: So, Matthew, what do you tell our listeners then? How do you dream? How do you set these big aspirations for yourself?
1: I don't really I don't know how I don't you know, I don't know how much it is that I I chase a result. It seems to me that it's a dance between the two. Sometimes I said earlier, as I said earlier, write the headline, set the goal up, go chase it, write the story towards it. But other times, and I think just as much or maybe more. I just I take a risk that I feel like, oh, this could be valuable and I'm willing to pay the cost of whatever the consequences are, and I'm gonna learn to fly while I'm after I've jumped off the cliff. So it's, I think my, I know my successes have been a balance of those two. Meeting the woman for me, Camilla. I found she came to me when I quit looking for her. I had this written down, I want to find that woman for me and then she's out there, I'm going looking for her. Shit, once I'm looking at every red light and in the produce section and the checkout counter and every party, I said, stop that. Once I shook hands with going, you can be an 88 year old bachelor. And it's okay. quit trying to make something different happen. Well, as soon as I did that,
0: guess who showed up? Love it. Is there something else I want to pick up on in your book? Take a road trip. Why is that so important?
1: Look, my favorite seat for thought has always been behind the wheel of whatever truck I'm I'm, I'm driving. Something about performing this very simple motor skill means your foot's on the pedal. You haven't thought about your foot being on the pedal, but you're maintaining a certain speed your hands on the wheel, You haven't really thought about staying in the lane, but you're in the lane. The motor skill opens up imagination. And, uh, and I think it's, it's like uh, just having that little simple motor skill that you don't have to think about doing that opens up a creative side. And it's in motion. I like to be in motion. Even now, I usually don't sit down. When I'm, on, when I'm doing calls, it's not I'm, I like to walk, I just, I just do. But a road trip to slowly snake across a continent or, or a nation, see new sites, to not be obsessed with, I got to be there by, to the transient age of, hey, I, wanna, I got an niche. I want to pull off over here, pull off over here, check this out. That's where I met so many interesting people. That's where I got into some wild scenarios that were, you know, some are in the book, some are not. It's um, where I wandered you know, across places like that place in Montana, that night when I came across that lodge, Wow, which is a beautiful, heartbreaking story. But I don't know, I just always like exploring and and, and a road trip, you know, I learn more about my home when I take a road trip and leave it.
0: Talking of your home, you said you've got a group of guys and you talk about how to be the best parents, the best dads you can be. What have you learned in that space? This is uh, something we discuss often on this podcast, the power of parenting.
1: Well, And the only thing I ever knew I wanted to be was a father. But like any father learns right away is, being a father is a whole lot, about a whole lot more than just making a baby. (laughs) You know, fatherhood is a verb. I mean, it starts after you made the baby. And so what's the first thing I noticed I think every parent notices? Oh, it's more DNA than I thought. You know, they kind of are who they are, okay. I really thought it was an environment. No, they are who they are, and I can shepherd them. I can nudge them. I can put the things in front of them that turn them on, that they love, and I can remove things in front of them that harm them, but, ooh, I don't want to remove everything in front of them that harms them because they need to learn. So well, uh, let me remove the, you know, I call it the, like, how high is the tree limb? Kids aren't afraid of heights until they fall. So they're out there on the tree limb and you're like going, gee, you are not pretty high, but if you fall from this one, we might be going to the emergency room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, you kind of go, well, if you fall from this one, you're going to you're going to get bumped and bruised. And at least it's on the grass down there. I'll, I'll let you take your chances. Then they get up to a certain height. You're know, like, whoa, buddy, if you fall from there, I, I'm my heart's skipping a beat right now. I need to, you got to say, hey, come on back over here. Check this out. I want to remove that harm, you know, that, that, that harm that could really harm them, but not remove enough that they're not going to learn that life is a rodeo. You got to negotiate to their turn, um, And it's on you, you know, um, let them get in an argument on a playground. Go at it. Work it out. You bullies are all over the world, man. Deal with it. Oh, you don't want to. Have, okay. You, you, you don't want to get in a fight. I got a son who's a pastor. Great.
0: Not asking you to, but you're smarter than that kid. So outwit him. How does your financial mm-hmm. success affect your mindset with your kids in terms of developing resilience for them? Because no. they're kids that will always have a parachute, aren't they?
1: Great question. And it's something that, that, that my wife and I talk about often. Because our kids are born into an affluence that neither one of us were. And I don't want them to be falsely modest about that affluence. I don't want them to be ashamed of that affluence. But I also don't want them to be soft because of that affluence. So what we try to do is say, you know, like a kid at school the other day tells my son, yeah, I bet, you, I bet you live in a big house because your dad's rich and famous. And so what did you say to him? He goes, I said, well, yeah, we do have a nice house. I go, did you bow your head? He goes, yeah, I lowered my head a little bit. I was like, uh-uh, you keep your head high. You're not being arrogant, but you tell him, yes, we do live in a big house. My dad happens to be rich and famous because he's really good at what he does, and he works really hard at it. And that work he's put in has helped get us that house. So I said, don't you lower your eyes on that. Also, don't ever look down on somebody if they got a smaller house or don't. It's not about that. It's about owning our affluence, but saying, again, because the work. a great lesson came when I won that uh, uh, trophy for Academy Award, best actor. Kids go, what's the trophy for? I said, you remember a year and a half ago when Papa was working and you got real skinny and you said he looked like a giraffe because his neck was so skinny? He's like, yeah. I go, well, the, remember how you'd wake up in the morning and I'd already be at work and I'd be gone all day and then get back home at night. And I go, the work that I was doing each day in that month and a half, my peers deemed to be excellent and gave me a trophy for what I did a year and a half ago. They gave me a trophy for it today. So that idea of delayed gratification, I saw a click. and goes, oh, so you can do something now and be rewarded for it tomorrow. I was like, bingo. Yes. Yes, you can. And so they have a, a, a lot of infl- uh, affluence. I don't. I still want them to be kind. They got to have their manners. I want them to be. They're so conscientious. I want them to be autonomous and self thinkers. At the same time, I don't like poorly behaved kids, and <laughs> we don't <laughs> we don't allow that. And what you what do you value? We're glad we got the house, but don't think that this is just what you get. Do you understand why we have this nice house? Do you understand why our pantry full at COVID? And do you understand that there are people out there right now in COVID whose pantry are not full? And they need to find a job to put something in the damn pantry and they can't find one. Do you understand that? So we try to remind them, hopefully we're doing a good enough job And anywhere we go in the world to go to different schools or orphanages and trying to help. out, Just to see, hey, this ain't now everybody's got it. So respect this. Do not take this for granted. And... Again, always going back to, it's because of the work you do, what kind of work you do, and if you do really good work, and you could, if you can supply something that's in demand in life, and you could supply a good product, whatever that product is, an actual product or yourself, then you can you can, you can possibly make a living at it.
0: Brilliant. Look, Matthew, we've uh, we've reached the the end of our conversation, and we always finish with our guests on this podcast with uh, some quickfire questions. Mm-hmm your three non-negotiable behaviors that the people around you have to buy into.
1: Don't lie, don't say hate, don't say can't. Non-negotiable.
0: What
4: advice would you give a teenage Matthew just starting out?
1: I love that you're always thinking about the future, thinking about getting older, but trust it, that's coming anyway. Enjoy being 15, those pimples will be gone are you happy am i happy i got a lot of joy i find joy in doing things that i feel like i'm fashioned to do uh, happiness is, to me is, is a bit of one of those result oriented destinations that i think we kind of falsely pursue as a place when joy, something about joy is more of a verb for me. Joy is more of a like, no, it's, it's, the, it's the art of doing what you're fashioned to do in a way that it's got reciprocity to it. You can find joy in the doing. More so, I find more so joy in the doing than I do in the having done. How important
4: is legacy to you?
1: It's getting more and more important. <laughs> it's getting more and more important. And, uh, you know... They say, what's, what kind of shadow do you want to leave? You know, what kind of light do you want to leave? What are those solar-powered, eternal green lights that we want to leave, not only in this life, but after we're gone? You know, our foundation, hope to hand that over to my children, and then they run the foundation after we're gone. I'm trying to build things now and make choices to do things that I go, ah, oh, that's going to live on. That's something you want to pass in. You can keep... That garden, can you can continue to tend. You can hand it down to other gardeners, proverbial gardeners of that thing to tend it after you are gone and they will want to. And can it build? Maybe it doesn't fade off after you fade away. Maybe it, it encompasses more. Maybe its roots go wider and deeper. Um, and so that's, that's some things I consider, the choices I make today, which are considering legacy.
0: And finally, your one golden rule to leave our listeners with for living a high-performance life,
1: Well, look, the easiest one is this. Just keep living, all right? The alternative sucks. (laughs) And I will say, on golden rules, though. It's another one my mother's big on, the golden rule. Do unto others you would have them do unto you. Found a loophole in that, too. Mom, not everybody wants to do what you want
0: to do. Listen, thank you so much for your time, Matthew. Sitting and talking to you, it strikes me that you're someone who's realized that every single action in your life has a consequence. You talk about leaving crumbs, not leaving crumbs. And I think as soon as we all realize that instead of thinking of the big thing that's five miles down the road, focus on the tiny thing in front of us because that is the thing that will have a consequence for the next step and the step after that. And it's, um, it's an absolute pleasure to sit and talk to you.
1: Step at a time with the big picture in mind, yeah.
0: Enjoy talking to you, man. Thanks very much. Thank and uh, listen, thanks for thanks for everything you've done and then for, for putting it down in green lights. And if you're listening to this podcast, please, um, it's it's not Christmas yet. Go out and buy it for someone and you might just give them um, some inspiration for 2021. Goodness knows we all need it. Matthew, thank you very much. All the very best uh, thanks, post-COVID mate. out there in the United States. And we really appreciate your time.
1: Y'all as well. Maybe see you in person next time or not. But until then...
0: Damien. Jake. Well, look, we're we're recording this late in the evening in the UK. Matthew is back home in the States. You can feel the energy, though, transmitting from the United States to the United Kingdom, can't you?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I sometimes call it the Gandhi rule on this because Gandhi said that complete harmony comes from when your words, your thoughts and your actions are all aligned. And he's definitely a man that... Uh, As we said in the introduction, he's translated common sense into common practice behaviours. And that's with his thoughts, his words and just the way he lives his life.
0: And what I think is brilliant is that there will be people listening to this going, well, of course he's happy and of course he's successful and of course he's done well because he's Matthew McConaughey. But he's only Matthew McConaughey, the actor who we all know because of those decisions that he's made, like he clearly takes absolute responsibility for his parenting, for his career, for his relationship with his wife, for approaching things in the right way. He thinks about everything. There's no element of just floating through, is there?
4: No, definitely. And I think that's, it's a really good point you made, Jake, that I think we get blinded by the outcomes that is a, you know, he's an Oscar winning actor, but the process that he put into pursuing that acting career when he, chose to move away from a career in the law is the same one that he does now when he decides he's going to take on a film. It's that idea of weighing up, taking time to reflect on whether he's going to be happy, whether he's going to enjoy it and then committing completely to it was something that he's been doing long before fame, fortune and prestige ever found him.
0: Well, look, I really enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure to, to sit in and, and chat to him alongside you as ever. Thanks again, man.
4: No, thank you, mate. That was a, Proper privilege, that one. I've thoroughly enjoyed
0: it. So interesting, isn't it? Listening back to the conversation with Matthew McConaughey, and I can't wait to see what people think of it. Um, but the reaction to the Billy Munger episode from last week, Damien, has also been really interesting.
4: Great. I think um, people have been listening to a 19-year-old boy delivering wisdom that it takes many of us a lifetime to uh, uh, to acquire has been a really quite significant for a lot of people.
0: We had a message here saying, Billy Munger, what an inspiration to us all. Everyone should listen to this. Don't let disabilities or setbacks in life stop you from living life to its fullest and achieving your goals and dreams. That's from Mark Bold. And what I like about that is that I am acutely aware that sometimes you and I sit on this podcast and tell people to recover from setbacks and crack on with life. Well, you and me have had some setbacks, but nothing like what Billy's been through. So when Billy sits here and says, listen, there's a great line where he said, you know, I'm still me, like I might have lost my legs but I'm still me. It's a great lesson for people.
4: Yeah, definitely. I was reminded when um, when he was talking a couple of years ago I snapped my Achilles and uh I found myself on crutches for about 3 months and I'd ne- and I was ashamed at the time that I'd never seen the world through the eyes of somebody that was impaired, yeah. like getting into taxis or going up curbs and things like that. And it gave me a real appreciation of just the struggles that some people have. And what I love about Billy was there was no self-pity, there was no bitterness. It was just a case of let's deal with what lies thrown at me and let's still make the best of it.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I, I learned a lot from my granddad, you know, because he broke his back in a farming accident in the 1970s. And so he was disabled when we were kids, and he but he still did everything that a grandparent would do. But to like to take us to the zoo as little kids, he'd have to wheel up to his car. He had a little um, maestro. Do you remember those cars? Yeah, and on the on the top, he had like this thing that held his wheelchair, and he'd wheel up to the car, lay a wooden board, slide himself across, close up his wheelchair, and then he had this little machine inside. And he used to press the button and it would lift up the thing on the roof of the car and it would drop down a cable. Then he'd wrap the cable around the wheelchair, lift the wheelchair up and then lower it back on the roof. The whole thing would take about 15 minutes. And me and my cousin Simon are like moaning and groaning at granddad for taking ages (laughs) to take us to the zoo or take us out for some lunch or whatever. But he just got on with it. He just had that kind of like stoic resilience just to keep on pushing forwards. And Billy Munger, not only does he have that, but... I don't think that his accident has in any way diminished his spirit. You know, like he has that belief that great things are coming his way and I think they are, but it's easy to to lose that and he hasn't.
4: Yeah, very much. I think, you know, the, like the title of the podcast was It's Not The Fact, It's How You React. And I think, you know, the fact is that he has had a catastrophic accident. The fact is that his life has changed in terms of, the amputation of both his legs, but it's his reaction of being optimistic, being uh, resilient, being a bullion with life, and it's challenges that that separate the good from the great, and he's definitely amongst that, that first category.
0: Uh, We've got a nice message here from Chris on LinkedIn and he he reflects what you said really. He says, wow, what an inspiring interview. Billy's humility, positivity and growth mindset are an inspiration to us all. Whether or not Billy feels comfortable with being a role model, he's smashing it out there. Um, Also, thanks again, Damien Hughes and Jake Humphrey. And a really lovely message from Elliot saying the best podcast series I've ever listened to. I find myself at a really reflective time in my life. Perhaps it's as I come to the end of my 20s. I'm naturally looking at what I've achieved and crucially not yet achieved what I do well and what I could get better at this podcast has given me so many tools reflections and insights into how I can live the rest of my life in the best way possible and become the very best version of myself thank you Jake Damien and all those who've been on the pod and I would certainly echo the thanks to all the guests that we've had you know when we talk about as you just mentioned there it's not the fact it's how you react let's not think about the fact as really big things like a love changing accident let's talk about little things like um someone in your life being a bit grumpy missing the train in the mornings not getting the promotion at work that you want finding that the one thing you want to buy from the supermarket is sold out because i think if we just think about how we react to the big stuff we still let the tiny little stuff get us down and that is the stuff that happens all the time every single day so how you react to that is almost more important for most of us
4: yeah definitely there's um I read a story years ago, I think it was someone like Arnold Palmer, the golfer, and he used to practice driving behind like articulated lorries on the motorway. And the reason he'd do it was he was learning to practice patience. So even when you could go past them and you could get around it, he was using opportunities like that to learn patience. So when he was finding himself in big finals or at key moments of his life, patience was something that he'd learned by... Doing it on the small occasions. And I think, like you say, I think how you react to that train being late or how you react to somebody not doing something as quickly as you would want mm. defines you as much as how you're going to handle it when life does come along and throw us that curveball.
0: I like that. I hadn't thought of it like that. I suppose what you're basically saying is reacting to the little things is the practice. So that if the big thing comes our way, and obviously we all hope it doesn't for us and for anyone listening to this, but if it does, it's a bit like the little bits is what you've done on the training pitch to get you ready for the big moment. And you've, you've learned. Absolutely.
4: That- so when we speak to the likes of um, Ant Middleton, though, we've got Nims Perger coming up and they've been in elite environments. There's a saying they use there, Jake, that when you come under pressure, you don't rise to the performance, you descend to the level where you spend most of your time. So practicing patience, practicing resilience on those small things is going to equip you with the skills to handle it when when you really do need it.
0: I love having a professor for a friend. (laughs) So good. Um, One final comment. This is from Mo. He says, you guys are smashing it on the pod. I find them so useful. I love it at the end when you guys finish and say, Damien, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mo. Appreciate that. Right. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Wow. Matthew McConaughey, what a guy. If this is the first time you've listened to the pod because you saw there was an Oscar-winning Hollywood actor on and you now want more from the High Performance Podcast, we are now in the middle coming towards the end actually of Series 3 so you have got so many to catch up on go right back to the very beginning the day that we sat down with Rio Ferdinand and spoke about so much more than just football with him Um, you can also find us on YouTube as well we've got um, our online home there where you can watch not just listen to the interviews already millions of views and tens of thousands of people are watching us on YouTube Um, and of course Instagram as well at Jake Humphrey at Liquid Thinker at High Performance everywhere you look you will find us Damien thank you so much once again for up your time absolute
4: pleasure jake i've loved it thank you
0: most importantly your enormous brain Have a great week. You too, mate. And the same applies to you as well. I really hope that this little hit of the High Performance Podcast has given you some inspiration and some tools and some ideas for how you can go and make the very best of whatever stretches ahead of you today and in the coming days. Thanks to Will, thanks to Hannah and all the team behind the scenes at the High Performance Podcast. Thanks to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio for his hard work as well. But most of all, thank you to our guests for coming on this podcast and just sharing with you the lessons that they have learned. I was thinking about this the other day. We're now over 25 episodes in. Let's say each of our guests has spent 10 years learning the things they're sharing on this podcast. That's 250 years of learning so far from the High Performance Podcast. It's not bad, is it? Anyway, thanks for listening and have a great week.
3: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life.